Setiap manusia ada dua perkara yang sama-sama dan sama-sama lalui. Hidup dan mati. You're listening to If This Is It. This is not just for entertainment, it's a reflection. Hi guys, welcome to another brand new episode of If This Is It. I'm Hidak Nodin and first off, I'd like to say thank you to all of you who have been listening and also to all our new listeners. Thank you for coming in. In this podcast series, we will be having conversation with guests from all walks of life, uh, sharing their life stories, experiences and hopefully it can benefit everyone who is listening. And uh, ultimately, we are all trying to be a better version of ourselves. So without further ado, this is If This Is It. If this is it. Okay, and today we're with Russell Hedick. Russell. So uh, maybe you can tell a bit about yourself to all our listeners lah, that, that may not know who you are. Hi guys, my name is Russell Hedick. Uh, 35 this year. I spent most of my career in FMB. I've uh, successfully ran, well, quite successfully ran two businesses uh, focusing on FMB itself. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm a bipolar recovery. Yeah. Awesome, bro. Thank you for being here. Uh, just just to share with everyone, I know Russell way back. <laughs> since mm. pr- since what? Secondary, secondary school? school secondary yeah. school. He's one of the first uh, non-Malay guy to play DK Barat with yeah, me. Yeah, the post below. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so bro, how are you? How have you been? I'm I'm alright. I'm better. I mean, the last month in December and January was a bit tough because I was having a relapse, a first major relapse in almost mm-hmm. six years, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was... Uh, it, it sucks to be on a roller coaster, but I'm stabilizing it's going things are going slower which is better for me so mm-hmm. one day at a time basically one day at a time yeah. yeah no rush no pressure yeah you know exactly right what what what's the race for you know in, eventually we're all going to end up in the same place right yeah so exactly why run there <laughs> when you can walk <laughs> yeah so bro maybe you can uh, share with us like um what is bipolar okay so um well the most common perception of bipolar what people think is that when they see somebody's happy mm-hmm. and next minute crying and then happy and then next minute crying and they, they just basically say oh that person's a bit crazy he's bipolar mm-hmm. uh, but bipolar has two main types type 1 and type 2 mm-hmm. basically and what type 1 is type 1 is is that you go into mania a bit more mm-hmm. um, so you go you get eccentric you get full energy Um, you go without sleep you've got grandeur ideas uh, you spend all the money you have because you have no fear of money Uh, and you just generally are very, very happy. The doctors would, the doctors once told me I, I was too happy. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the flip side of it, which is type 2, where you get more depressed mm-hmm. um, and you're exposed to more of like uh, downside of things. And you do get mania, but it's also toned down. So they call it hypomania. So it's not as uh, damaging as full-blown mania, which what is, which is what I go through. Yeah. Uh, mm. what, what made you realize that you're, you have bipolar? Um... So back, throw back to year 2015 and that's when I was first diagnosed. And what happened was that I was managing four to five different projects. I had uh, I had two companies. I was also a uh, beverage head for an Italian group. Mm-hmm. I was also supposedly supposed to be the bar manager for the F1. Uh, and I also had then proposed to my fiancé. So a lot of things on my plate. And uh, after I came back from the trip of proposing to her, Um, we were shifting our bar from uh, Topayo to Bedok mm-hmm. and during that shift a lot of things didn't go as planned because mm-hmm. I was away and I perhaps didn't give enough, clear enough directions and usually you know when whatever can go wrong will go wrong right mm-hmm. yeah. so when I came back to Singapore after the, the holiday um, I, w- I basically went into full speed you know like full on mode basically trying to rush the launch of the bar mm-hmm. 
Mm. Uh, but what I didn't know is that I was pushing myself to the limit. The, but I had a reason for this. The reason was that I was trying to trying to push to my partners that if you want to make it in this career, mm-hmm. you have to push yourself until you break. Mm. Um, in any business, I think. Yeah, right? I think, I think that's the common uh, yeah, un- you know, understanding of it. Yeah, yeah. So, but however, I tried so hard to prove that point that I broke mm-hmm. and I, I collapsed and um, I had basically, they basically had, my partners had basically locked me up in the outlet because I was running around with a knife. Oh. Yeah. So, um, a, a, it's not like a big blade, like it was like a, a, a pen knife, like a switch blade, which I bought on the day earlier. Mm-hmm. So prior to that, I had not slept for three days. I was not eating well. I was I was just full of energy. And if, looking back, it's a very strange thing because I, I didn't feel tired. Like I ran the whole of Bedard Reservoir like twice. Okay. And and I wasn't tired. And this is like without sleep for two, three days, you know. Okay. Um. So when that happened, uh, my father came down. He checked on me and I was like, Dad, something is wrong. Something is really, really wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need to see a doctor. He's mm-hmm. like, no, no, it's okay. You're just tired. Go and rest. So we booked the chalet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just stayed over. But I couldn't sleep as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next morning, I told my dad, I said, look, some, something is really up. You know, I, I don't feel I don't feel normal. So we saw uh, our family GP. And she uh, recommended me to, referred me, sorry, to a psychiatrist in Novena. Okay. And that's when I was diagnosed with being bipolar. So maybe you can run through with us a bit. Because you, you, you shared a story where you were running around in the in the bar mm. with a knife, right? Yes. What was going through your mind? Or was it something you totally blocked out in a way? Actually, that 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 uh, incident was very strange because uh, what I did was, after speaking to my business partners, mm-hmm. I sat them down and told them, we have to open today because we start paying rent today. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, no, Russ, we're not ready for it. And I was like, I don't care if you're ready. I'm ready. We have to be ready because we're paying rent. And I broke down in tears. I was emotional. Then I went to the toilet. Mm-hmm. I locked myself in. I lay down on the floor. And then I thought, what? I thought, while I was lying down, I thought I heard the glass break. I thought I heard an ambulance come. And it was a very strange experience. Until today, nobody has been able to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Because it's nothing to do with bipolar. Um, basically, my, my brain went into autopilot. So while I thought I was lying in the toilet, I was actually in the shop front holding a knife and running around with it. Oh. So, I don't remember that. So, after 10 minutes of lying down, I sat up and instead of being in the toilet, I was in the shop, in the middle of the shop. Oh, wow. So, I was like, how the hell did I get here? It was like an out-of-body experience kind of thing, you know, like the mind just, just controlled the body by itself. Uh, and I was very, very confused. That's why when my, my dad came to the shop, they had locked me in. My dad came, the first thing I did I was, was punch my dad just to see oh. if I'm, but it wasn't a hard punch, I was yeah. just like a tap, like to see if I'm in a dream, if I can feel pain. And then he's like, what are you, why are you punching me? He's like, I don't know what's going on. I, I think... So also, a better, little bit of the story is that when I was locked in, my hearing had been lost. All I heard was a ringing sound. So I could see them outside the shop, like, waving to back off. But I couldn't hear them. It wasn't like a soundproof, it was just a simple glass door. But I couldn't hear them. So here I thought, oh shit, I'm in a coma. Right? I thought, oh no. I pushed myself to a point where I'm in a coma. And I was like, hey, this is my happy place. You know, there's, there's alcohol, there's food, there's music, there's everything here that I want to be in a coma. So I was happy. And then when my dad came, I was very confused. And then uh, he just sat me down to, to calm me down and say, like, look, look, let's go get, let's just go chill out in a chalet. Yeah. So how I got to the point of holding a knife, I don't remember at all. You don't remember at all? Totally blacked out? Totally blacked out, yeah. So you, you mentioned you had a relapse recently. Yes. Um, oh. So recently in December 
on the 12th of December, actually. Oh, yeah. that's quite recent. Yeah, very recent. What, what um, happened then? Was it the same pressure? Like, your, your the incident you mentioned just now was the pressure of opening in time, running a business. Mm. That, that triggered to your first discovery of the fact that you had bipolar. Yes, yes, yes. And over the course of... The past how many years? I think seven? Nine, nine years. Oh, nine years. Nine years, yeah. You were undergoing therapy? Ironically, no. i never ever been for therapy. I'm actually going for my first therapy session next week. Oh. Yeah, I just see my, my psych or my doctor every three months now. Um, mm. Initially, it used to be every two weeks oh. um, because that's when I was first diagnosed. It was, they were still trying to tweak the medication, finding the sweet spot. Um, and now eventually, well, I think they found a good balance. Mm-hmm. Um so the frequency has reduced quite a bit. La. Yeah, yeah. So, so throughout the entire period from when you first had uh, the manic mm. um, experience that you went through mm. up till like, your recent relapse, was there any relapses in between? Or was it just oh. purely uh, a lot of like coping with medications and all that? No, I've been into IMH at least six times mm. in a span of nine years. Wow. Uh, and what, at one time... Uh, in one year, I think I had been there two or three times. Yeah, and every time you go in, it's at least four to six weeks of uh, remission. Uh. So you just basically mm-hmm. stay inside, uh, stabilize. Um, and once the doctors deem you fit, then they'll let you go. Yeah. Um, Do you now feel that whenever you tell someone that you had bipolar or you are facing bipolar issues, do do you have the sense of like people wanting to stay away from you and that? Initially, when I was first diagnosed, I was very frustrated when people in my social circle mm. or my maybe, maybe in the second 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 group circle, like, mm. you know, found out that I was bipolar. So I was like, they came, they, they come to me and say, "Hey, Ras, I heard you're bipolar." I'd be like, "Who told you?" And, like, yeah. and I didn't like the fact that people were talking about it, you know. Mm. Uh, but to answer your question, no, they haven't avoided me. Mm-hmm. Um, and was it frustrating for you? Like suddenly, everyone started being like so overly caring. Yeah, it's the standard questions that I always get is like, how, have you been on your medication? That's the most common question. Are you on your medication? And I've not skipped my medication for like six, seven years. I haven't skipped it. Maybe like if I go on a day where I drink a bit heavily, then maybe I skip it by taking it in the morning, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't take the, the night medication, but mm-hmm. it's only night medication. So I just skip the night dose and then I take it in the morning and then the doctor, doctor say it's, they don't advise it obviously, but at least I'm still taking it. Lah, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Was there any different treatment apart from like the the questions yeah, that pisses you off? Um, people were, were showing more care and concern, but I didn't want to be treated like I was sick. Mm. I wanted to tr- be treated like I was normal. Mm-hmm. But the initial stages were the hardest because the doctors were still tweaking the medication. And because I came from a high, they had to bring me down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so naturally, and also what the, the process had the... the what usually happens is that once you go up, you drop. Mm-hmm. And the drop is quite drastic. Mm-hmm. So when I was first diagnosed, uh, I refused to agree that I was sick. Mm-hmm. I just told them that I'm happy. What's wrong with being happy? I'm motivated. I'm, 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 I've always been an yeah, extroverted active. person. And active as well. Active as well, yeah. yeah. Um, so I said, no one, I will self-heal. I'll meditate. I'll do yoga. I'll, I'll exercise. I'll eat well. And that worked for like a month until I relapsed again. So it was the same case every time. I because the, medi- the medication was so strong that it was downing me out that I couldn't function. I couldn't even have a proper conversation. Oh wow! It was so bad. I would just go to a, like a party or a social gathering. I would just sit there and stone. And then my friends were like, "Are you okay?" I'm just gonna, like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Just just a normal thumbs up. Yeah, just stone, and I cannot hold a conversation. 
Uh, and that obviously related to work as well. I couldn't find a proper job because on my resume, it looks great. You've owned businesses, you've ran different concepts. Mm-hmm. But when I actually get down to the job, I'm just brain fog, you know. I, yeah. I take an order. I After I take the order, I just look at the, 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 the place. I just zone out. Oh. And then my colleagues are, hey bro, you just took an order. I said, oh yeah, yeah, I must go and keep it in. And I have to go keep it in. After the case, bro, you must set the cutlery. I was like, oh yeah, must set the cutlery. I'm just, my, my mind wasn't there. Uh-huh. It was just so much, uh, the, the dosage was just too strong. Yeah. Did that lead to any additional stress to you? Like, I mean, working is something that you love doing. Mm. I mean, if I were in that position, I would go crazy, bro. Because I love working. I love being active so much. Yeah, yes. exactly. And yes, it was very, very hard for me because I come from a background where I started working since 14. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I enjoy earning money, right? Yeah. yeah. And I enjoy doing what I do. Yeah. And came to a point where I uh, almost took my life multiple times because oh. I felt that if I can't be myself, mm-hmm. I can't function the way I used to function. What's mm-hmm. the point of living? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it was a very, very dark time. It was very, very hard times. Um, but nine years later, I'm still here. Thank God. And now I'm trying to push the reducing the stigma around mental health, primarily focusing mm-hmm. on bipolar. Yeah. So I'm starting a, a movement called Bipolar SG, mm-hmm. which is supposed to launch on World Bipolar Day, which is 30th of March. Uh, but unfortunately, because of my recent relapse, I had to postpone it. La. Yeah, but yeah. that's a good initiative that you're starting. La. I mean, th- it's not just about the stigma. I think it's more about the awareness about bipolar because people always assume that all mental health are the same. Mm, yeah, yeah, I agree. And but it's totally different. Yeah, there, there are different forms of it. There are different ways to treat it, and there are also different ways to maneuver around it. Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. and especially for our male community, mm-hmm. we are so spicy. Yeah, to admit it, correct, correct. Too shy to admit it until. Late, it it might be too late, right? Yeah, yeah it might be too late, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned just now uh, you, you had several incidents where you wanted to unalive yourself. Mm. Yeah, like maybe walk through with us. I mean, because, I mean, we have some of our listeners already past episodes where, where they share about their friends wanting to unalive themselves. But this is something that you went through yourself. Mm. This is not um, second-hand storytelling. This is you, yourself. Yeah, yeah. Like, maybe walk through with us because I think that a lot of people out there don't know that it takes a lot for someone to want to come to that decision. Mm, yes, yes. Yeah. Maybe you can... Do, do you mind sharing that? Yeah, definitely not. So, yeah. Um, yeah, sure thing. Uh, so, the first time I thought about it was there were multiple factors. The first reason was that I couldn't function the way I did. I said this now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I had lost my fiance because of this illness. Oh. Right? She, after about a year of being diagnosed, uh, we went out to watch a movie. We were walking on Harbour Front uh, towards Sentosa, and she just—I just—I realized she wasn't wearing her ring. So I asked her, I "Was like, hey, why aren't you wearing a ring?" And she was like, "I don't know, but you know, Russ, I didn't sign up for this." And that hit me hard. That hit me really, really hard. You know, um, to think that the girl I've been together with four years or five even by then um, like gave up on me because of an illness so I felt that I lost everything I lost my business because of my condition I lost my fiance I had lost a lot of money because I couldn't work uh, I had a lot I basically used up all my savings because treatment was very expensive because I was going private uh, which was a mistake at the start um, so I, I, I asked myself like, what's the point of living you know what's the point if everything if I had lost everything yeah, and it took me a very 
So I, I wrote uh, like a death note kind of thing uh, on, on my table. We were living together at a time with her family. So I wrote a death note, um, basically thanking the family and thanking her. And then I went to the top floor, I sat there. I sat there for a good half an hour, just sitting on the ledge. And I was like, is this the end? You know, I haven't achieved everything I wanted to achieve. Is it going to get better? I don't know. You know, I was, I was still lost. And I actually called the cops on myself. So I took out my handphone, I called 999, I was like, there's a guy on this building, looks like he's gonna jump, he's been sitting there for a long time. And I believe this or not, the cops came in less than three minutes. Yeah. I saw them, I saw them, I saw the car come in, they ran up the stack, they ran up the lift. The fire department set up like the, those big bouncy castle things that, that look like fun to jump into. <laughs> Not really a good thing though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I started feeling bad. I was like, Alama, they're blocking the road. Like, how the car gonna come out now? Yeah. Then the police officer was like, can I see? Mm. I was like, yeah, you see. So he obviously came to me and he put me back like, instead yeah. of looking at the things. So I was like, damn, that was a smart move. Yeah. Um, then I got, I mean, they took this, 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 uh, uh, they took this so-called SOP away where they usually arrest you mm-hmm. and they put you in handcuffs if you attempt suicide. Yeah. Uh, but I got I still had, I still got put into handcuffs. Um, and got taken back to Bedo HQ and basically speak with the IU about what was I doing and she was very 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 rough. You know, she's like, "What are you trying to do? You know, try to kill yourself? Is it going to kill yourself?" Like, I don't know. I mean, like obviously in the state of mind, I wasn't comprehending shit. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I needed was somebody to play tough love. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but after that. Uh, Things got better for a while, you know. Um, the doctors tweaked the medication again um, and they, like, leveled it out a little bit lower. Not It wasn't too strong. So it wasn't too much of a down? Yeah, it wasn't uh-huh. too much of a down. Uh-huh. So eventually, I reached a sweet spot, I think, after five years of being diagnosed. So for four years, I was functioning at, like, 60%, 70%. Yeah, it was very hard. It was very hard, yeah. But, bro... In all honesty, Russ, I'm glad you're still here. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Serious, bro. Serious, bro. We, we've, we've went through quite a bit also growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Hearing these stories from you is like, why did you choose that way out? Have, did you consider speaking to someone? Or, or, or were you ashamed to speak to someone because of this? No, I wasn't ashamed. A lot of people around me knew of my condition. But it was the case of like, um, what's the point of living anymore? I didn't. Mm. I didn't. I didn't mention something. Is that when I had my first bar at twenty four? Mm. Uh, I was there. Yes. Yes, <laughs> you were there. Yeah. Uh, that's right. I've seen the. I remember the photos. Yeah. And there was one night after a crazy night. You know, mm. I stopped. I cleaned the bar up. I just stood at the. It's on the second level. It's like open air kind of thing. So I basically stood there and I asked God. I was like, God, I have everything I want. I've got the dream job. I got the dream girl. I got the dream bike. I got enough money. What's next? Mm. And literally overnight, after asking him what's next, he took everything away. And he said, and what he said to me was that you think you have it all? Start from scratch again. So yeah, can you imagine having? So it was so devastating for you, lah. Yeah, it was so hard because I had lost a lot of things. You know, I mean, money aside, I didn't, I didn't, I never cared about money too much, mm-hmm. um, because I always think that if you need money, just go and go and earn it, right? Go and work. Yeah. But then, because of my mental state, I couldn't work, so I couldn't get money. Uh, so it was very hard, and I just didn't see the purpose in life anymore. Basically, you know, I felt like I had achieved everything I wanted to achieve, you know. And I, even though it was at a young age, I felt, you know, if I die, if I if I kill myself now, if I if I decide to jump, 
I've done everything I wanted to do except maybe have a family lah, you know. But other than that, I felt like I have achieved everything I wanted to achieve. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing and yeah, opening no up. I think it's something that is very personal lah. Mm. Yeah, and I sincerely appreciate you sharing yeah, because no because we never know if there are people out there who are also facing this kind of uh, yeah. thoughts and all that. I mean, I have went through those thoughts as well for myself, mm. but never really acted on it. Mm. So it's it's a whole different thing. And um, looking back at how you are right now, do do you think that fa- family support was key in you getting better and all that? Yeah, definitely. Um. Obviously, it was hard for everybody too because at that point in time, 2015, mm-hmm. mental health wasn't that big a thing like how yeah. it's, it's a big thing now, right? It wasn't widely known. Yes, yeah. correct. So, everybody was taken aback like, what is bipolar? You know, wh- why is he behaving like this? What are we supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And it was a case of a lot of the family doing a lot of research. You know, mm-hmm. they would, we, they, my mom would do research, my dad would do research, my siblings would do research. Um, but obviously, it affects the individual very differently as well. So, mm-hmm. as much of research you can do, uh, you're still also doing a case study in person, you know. Yep. So it was it was a different. It wasn't the same as just reading the online stories yeah. and uh, you know the, the sharing. I mean, online stories are all different case to case basis. Exactly. Like, there's no one thing that's similar, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I'm very grateful and I'm very thankful for my support circle, which I've had since the start. You know, mm-hmm. uh, friends that I made from the bar in mm-hmm. 2014 who became family, mm-hmm. uh, best friends from poly, mm-hmm. uh, polytechnic, best friends from secondary school. Mm-hmm. Um, they all stood by me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I couldn't function like like how I used to function, like just they always included me in their events. Mm. Like even though if they go for if they have a social gathering or if they have an event or a dinner, even though I can't behave the way I used to, the fun jovial guy, right? They were just it was just nice to be there. Yeah. And watch everything happen. Mm-hmm. Even though I couldn't like say anything or like behave the way I wanted to, but it was just nice being there. Mm. Um but this led me to my movement because what Bipolar SG would be is that it's a support circle from a ground up mm-hmm. uh, where we would have peer supporters to help each other out doing our tough times, you know? Mm-hmm. And I realized that in IMH when I used to go there, my friends would come almost every day mm-hmm. and I would see people who have been there for two, three months and nobody comes. Oh. They have, oh. Their families either have given up on them, maybe they don't have a lot of friends, maybe their friends got tired of the way they were behaving, but my friends and family would come even though I was still manic. Mm. Even though I was still talking nonsense. Mm. I was behaving like a fool. But they would still come and they would still be there for me. Wow. And we would play cards in the in the, in the the common area. Mm. We would talk nonsense, you know. It would just be like, it, it feels like we were in a bar just drinking water, yeah. you know. Yeah. Just something non-alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's take it back a little. Uh, okay. Like, how were you like growing up? Was there signs of this when you were growing up? Or like, I don't know what the values that or rather trauma that you had when you were growing up. Mm. Was there any? Because I'm I think a lot of people thought that having this mental in illness uh, are deep seated. Yeah. 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 So do you do you have that? Um mm. well so something interesting happened before my last relapse and I went for a course called a peer support facilitator. Mm-hmm. And part of this course entailed uh, understanding mental health trauma and pro- like how trauma is created. Mm. So there are three circles to it. There's social, physio, and biological. Mm. Um, and it made me look back and think, uh, like, hey, shit, you know, like what, I, at a young age of seven or nine, I think primary, primary two or primary three, my, uh, my, my mom's siblings, my aunts and uncles, basically, they used to run a beach bar in Sentosa, called mm. Sunset Bay. Yeah. 
Uh, and it they used to place. have. It was a good place, by the way. It was the best place <laughs> in the world, bro. It was the best place in the world. Uh, uh, so they used to have a lot of events, and they used to have these stick-on tattoos. You know, like you know, I think they call flash tattoos. If I'm not wrong, stick-on tattoos. So I used to collect them and bring them to school to sell. The reason why I did that is because a lot of my sec- my primary school was situated around all the private houses. Mm-hmm. So every all my classmates were very well off. Mm-hmm. While I I came from a very humble beginning. Um, so I would sell these tattoos for like 50 cents or a dollar a piece just so I can have so just to, so I can keep up with that spending you know like after school they would want to go to the mall and I only had like one or two dollars maybe one dollar I think but I had to make my own money because I had to keep up with them mm-hmm. and this happened in secondary school too all my friends in secondary school were well off maybe I would say 80% of them mm-hmm. you know they they had the best bicycles you know yeah. cool phones yeah bags, everything was, they, they spent, they, they had everything they wanted because yeah. they came from a, a good background, you know. Yeah. I'm not saying my background was bad, uh, but, and then so, the drive to keep up with them continued as well. So at 14, the, the youngest you could work legally uh, was Burger King at that time. So I would literally run from school to the MRT, MRT to Marina Square, yeah. work work until 11, 12, and then run, run to catch, catch the last train home. Yeah. And looking back at this during the course of the peer, peer support facilitator, I was like, could that be a reason why I eventually became the way I, I did? Because, mm-hmm. you know, this that, that is some, some some sort of trauma, like behaving, adulting at such a young age, right? Yeah. Like looking out for yourself on, on that level at, at such a young age, which shouldn't be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and I've always been a go-getter, a high, high achiever. With everything I do, I give, I give my 200%, right? Yeah. yeah so I... And that's the only way I know how to do it. Like mm. it's either go go big or go home, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think that that kind of all added up. Mm. Uh, and also, I don't know how to acknowledge stress. Oh. I never believe in stress. Really? To me, stress is fun. All the way until until my relapse. Until your relapse. Yeah. That's something I can quite relate to. <laughs> mm, right. Yeah. I mean, like you enjoy it, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I I really enjoy the pressure. I I love. Tight deadlines. Yeah, same, same, same. <laughs> I, I love, to an extent, to, to a point, right, if I have nothing to do, mm-hmm. I would find something to do. Yes, yes, correct. Just correct. to achieve. Mm. Yeah, and I think speaking out about stress is all a very crucial part of understanding mental health. Lah. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, I think we were a bit unlucky to be growing up in that era where we don't know of these things. Mm. You you mentioned about growing up in primary school, secondary school. Here's a question. Yes. <laughs> you don't look like most Singaporeans. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't yeah. know what I look like also. <laughs> I get a different guest every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, were you born here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I'm a second generation Singaporean. Both my parents are Singaporean as well. However, my grandparents are not. La. My dad's side is mainly English and Anglo-Indian. Mm-hmm. And my mom is uh, French, Dutch, Javanese, Ceylonese, and Sinhalese burger. So that's like Japanese. United Nations, that basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so growing up, do you have any like uh, stairs or anything? Two things. First thing <laughs> is my surname. My surname is Hedick, right? <laughs> Properly pronounced Hedich, mm-hmm. uh, but it's H-E-A-D-E-C-H. So it looks like Hedick, sounds like Hedick. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing, right? You go into class, uh, already you're the only white guy in the class, and then yeah. they go, headache. And then like, <laughs> yep, that's me, that's me. Yeah. And then everybody starts laughing, right? Obviously. So so and obviously I like, got a salt eye, you know, in, in the whole school. I think there's only me and my cousin who was uh, who who looked like Angmola, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um But I use it to my advantage, you know? Like I 
I was somewhat the quite popular kid in secondary school. I think, yeah, uh, we, you know, we had a band, we played soccer. I was, in, I was the only white guy in DK Barat. So, like, you know, make use of it, lah, right? Yeah. Make use of it. Yeah. Even right up till Polly, right? Polly, I, I wasn't in DK Barat. Yeah, I had I a band. I had a band, yeah. What do you always tell them? Like, I mean, you, you cannot really explain to them, like, your entire heritage to these yeah. kids when you were younger, yes, right? Yes, Obviously. yes, yes. So, so, what do you tell them then? I just, I mean, the, the term Eurasian got more popular towards the later part of uh, the 2000. 2000s, yeah. yeah. A lot of them would just say, I mean, we used to call ourselves Grago, la. I don't know if you heard ah, that term Grago, before, Grago, yeah. yeah, which means shrimp. La. Yeah. But <laughs> technically, I'm not Grago because Grago is the Portuguese fisherman from Malacca that yeah. used to catch prawns yeah. and or shrimp. Like, that's why they were called Grago. Like. Oh, that's but, something I, I only know today. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have Portuguese blood. Yeah. Well, but I have Dutch, so I yeah. You're Dutch. Uh, French, Dutch, Javanese. French, Dutch, Javanese. Yeah. Awesome, on. bro. So, what was the thing that you missed the most growing up? Wow. Um, I actually, funnily enough, I miss playing soccer. You miss playing soccer? Yeah. Can you still play soccer now? I don't know, man. I probably call, <laughs> have a heart attack in three seconds, bro. <laughs> I miss playing soccer too. The last time I did, uh, I played for like 30 minutes and I was injured for the next three weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. I played like foot... Oh, is it futsal? The one in yeah, the, the pitch, yeah. yeah. And we, two of us were going for the ball. I landed and I landed flat on my, my, my chest. Mm. I had broke... I had fractured my rib, lah. <laughs> and I was... You in, fractured I fractured rib. my rib playing soccer, yeah. Because I fell and I didn't break my fall. I just went like face first into the ground, uh, uh, but yeah, because I think, I I mean, I was the captain of the class team. Mm -hmm. We won, I think, three years out of yeah. five. Yeah, that was good times. Mm -hmm. um, I'm finally going back into soccer, hopefully, if my new schedule permits. Yeah. Wow. Um, so what was the one thing that you cannot forget about your past growing up? Like the best memories that you have growing up? I think the best part of my memories was at a younger age would be like I mentioned just now my family owned the beach bar in Sentosa so it was basically every weekend we were there every mm -hmm. school holiday we were there and it was just having fun on the island this was, this was way before the island was developed yeah. right there were just like sand, like mini sand dunes yeah. there was like an arcade uh, the, the big malayan was still there the big malayan was still there <laughs> yes uh, we, we like the Sunset Bay was like one or two of the only restaurants in the place yeah, yeah. so there was kayaking there was sea sports there was beach volleyball there was motocross yeah. there was so many things going on, yeah. I, I love that place, dude. <laughs> yeah, I miss it so much, yeah. man. My dream is to bring it back. La. My dream is to ah, bring it back. Yeah. Nice. So, bro, now we're almost towards the end of the show. La. We've shared quite a bit you. about your experience and all that. Maybe, right? I know you've thought about unalarming yourself. Do you still have those thoughts now? I wouldn't lie. I still do, actually. I recently did you have that do. thought about two, three weeks ago. You yeah, still do? I Just still quite do. recent. Recent. Yeah, because I like I mentioned, I was having a relapse in December and January. And I mean, don't give me the, the feeling of being high is amazing, bro. It's mm. the best feeling. It's like being high on a drug that you didn't even take. You know, yeah. your your brain is just going at full speed. Uh, the, the electrodes are flying. Everything's yeah. everything's fun. You know, everything's all the sun is so bright. You know, the trees look beautiful. Yeah. The music is louder. Everything is amazing. And I. It, I kind of link it to that movie Lucy. I don't know if you've seen oh, yeah, the one with yeah, yeah, where her brain functions yeah. at a very high percent, right? So I think my brain functions at a higher percent too mm -hmm. when that happens. Um, but obviously it's dangerous, lah, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so when I was up, I had to drop, obviously. Mm -hmm. And when I dropped, it was bad as well. Um, and I wasn't ready for it because I've never been that high for so long. I, the highest I've been, the longest I've been high maybe is three weeks. Mm -hmm. But this was almost two months. Whoa. Yeah. It's a and, long uh, time to be high. Yeah, very long. <laughs> very too long. Way too long. Yeah. Uh, so when I dropped, 
obviously, obviously in my high stage, I got myself uh, into like, I burn a lot of bridges. Mm -hmm. You know, I say a lot of things I shouldn't have said to people. Mm -hmm. I, you know, say things to my family, my friends. Um, so that was very tough. Um, but I, I, I just felt like, I was like, why am I, why am I still nine years on? Why am I still suffering like this? Like, mm -hmm. what did I do wrong in my past life or this life? Like, mm -hmm. I've always felt I was a good person or a good human being. You know, um, I've always been good to my friends, my family, girlfriends, etc. But why am I going through this? Like, you know, what's the point? Am I going to be like this for the rest of my life where I have to walk on, you know, on tiptoes everywhere to see, oh shit, if there's a telltale sign that I haven't ever relapsed, mm -hmm. how do I act on it? How do I behave? Um, so I just got very tired of the illness, you know, mm -hmm. being tired, being tired of being sick, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, so that pushed you to almost having suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Wow. So, so how did you got out of it? My best friend actually, um, she talked me out of it and uh, she pulled me out of the rut. Um, uh, and she said something that I always still, I always reread the message every now and then. And she's like, it's not, you know, when somebody says you're, you're having a bad day, you say have a good day. But she was like, don't worry, Russ. We will get through this together. Mm. And the word we had a big impact, you know. It's like, yeah. it shows that, you know, you are really, really there for me. And she's, it felt like she's holding my hand and walking me through the, the rain, la. Yeah, mm. the storm. Nice, bro. Yeah. Uh, I sincerely hope you get better. Thank I you. mean, we, we all know that this is, this isn't you. Mm. Right? We know this isn't you. This, yeah. this is an illness, just like how someone have a cough, mm. right? Um, we'll get better. Yeah. And um, uh, life is, it is extremely precious. Uh, and I hope we all live to, to old age. You know, like, yeah. like like one day when we're like 60, 70, mm. yeah, we, we reminisce and talk about like, hey, remember that time we, we had uh, a punk cake at Sunset Bay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And, and we all slept all the uh, way until like 9 a.m. Oh, yeah, man. And oh, taking my. the train back home while everyone is going to work. Correct. <laughs> and, and we look like we haven't even showered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we, uh, we hope, I hope that would uh, come to fruition one day. Yeah, me right? too. Me so, too. Uh, if this is your last day on earth, what would you like to eat? Eat? Yeah, last meal. Last meal. Oh, that's, that's an easy one. Uh, a nice uh, beef tenderloin. Nice. Yeah. Medium rare. Medium rare for sure, yes. Nice. Yeah. Right there. Your last piece of music you want to hear? Uh, this is actually going to be my funeral song. It's uh, Free Bird by Lynyrd Skynyrd. Nice uh, song. Free Bird, yeah. It's a long song, but it's a... Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I always picture myself going into the furnace and they're playing... A free bird mm -hmm. as I'm being pushed uh, as pushed, you're being carried over yeah. wow uh, last message to everyone okay um, with my story I just want people to know that we're not alone mm -hmm. um, the beauty of me starting bipolar as she was like uh, the more I spoke about it mm -hmm. the, the, when I finally came to my sentence and said yes I'm bipolar you know it's not, and there's nothing wrong with it, you know. We all have our demons. Yeah. We all have our problems. It's just that I'm certified sick, you know. And it's just, uh, it's just an illness, you know. And the more I spoke about it, the more people came to me to say, Eras, you know, my brother, oh, my mother, oh, even me, I have this, this, this. And I think it's important that we have real conversations and yeah. not surface level. Hey, how are you? Okay, bro. Okay, bro. Okay, thanks. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, dive deeper if you can. If you see signs of somebody looking distant or withdrawn, you know, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't take yeah. too much to ask them, yeah. are you okay? And I hope you stay healthy as long as you want, mm. as long as you can. I mean, we need you. <laughs> <laughs> we need people like you to, to push this in 
initiative forward mm. to create an understanding for everyone. So thank you very much, Ras, for being here. I, I mean, this is a short session, no but um, I hope, I truly hope that there are people out there who are listening, mm. who is facing whatever you went through, get something out of it, lah. Like, I mean, we we never know who we are helping yeah. along the way, right? Yeah. And uh, I thank you for that, bro. Most welcome, brother. Thank you so thank much. You. Cheers, um, so for all those of you out there who's listening, please feel free to drop us a feedback, a comment, and anything you want to say to us over on our TikTok and Instagram. See, I got TikTok, bro. But it's not my own TikTok. It used to be my TikTok, oh, yeah. but it's now uh, switching to the podcast TikTok. So uh, thank you so much for listening. And as always, if you know anyone who need help, please refer them to someone professional. Yep. And especially for guys out there, there's no there's no shame. Mm. There, there really is no shame in admitting whatever we have going yeah. on through in our head. Yeah. Okay, thank you, bro. Thanks, bro. I'll see you soon. See ya. See ya. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to If This Is It. If This Is It. This is not just for entertainment. It's a reflection.